Hey everyone, welcome to the Lipstick League. I'm Natalie Eganoff. And I'm Nicole Mahalik. And this is where sports and pop culture come to play. And uh, we have some pretty incredible guests today. I'm really excited um, to welcome these unbelievable women to the Lipstick League. And uh, I'm just thankful that they're here with us to chat with us this morning, Nicole. This is uh, it's Monique and Jocelyn Lamaru, uh, two women who have played uh, for USA Hockey globally and have represented the United States uh, three Olympic games uh, among a slew of other, hold on, I need to like pull up your resume because there's so much on it. <laughs> get um, the receipts, let's get two, the receipts. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> two NCAA D1 programs, seven IIHF world championships, three winter Olympic games, um, seriously 15 years um, building Team USA's identity. It's unbelievable and now you're telling your own story in your own words. But um, before we get to the book, um, which, you know, is, it's going to be so great for, you know, little girls and women all over the country and the world to read. Uh, let's start at the beginning. Um, I guess, how did you get into playing ice hockey? So our four older brothers all played hockey. Our dad played at the collegiate level. And so we basically just followed our brothers around whatever they were doing. Um, so we played a ton of sports growing up, but hockey was the one um, that they gravitated towards. And then we started to play more of, and we just loved the game. We had a pond, a frozen pond in the winter that we would go oh. skate on uh, yeah. outside. Uh, it's freezing here right now. So it'd be prime weather to be skating outside. Um, so we just followed them around and we start. we just loved the game from a very young age. Um, and then, as we got into organized sports, there was no girls team for us to play on. Uh, so we played on boys teams growing up. There's no opportunity uh, for girls to, to play on a girls team unless we traveled. Um, yep. And that, that was our normal. We didn't really think anything of it, but obviously that's, that's not normal. Um, yeah. But we just, from a very young age, gravitated towards the sport, our brothers, um, never took it easy on us and, uh, we're thankful today, but at the time uh, we thought they were pretty mean to us. So, yeah. you know, what's really, what's really interesting is that Natalie and I are obsessed with sports and it's because of our dads. I am six years older than my brother. My dad's a crazy sports fanatic, like mm -hmm. literally watches ESPN classic and yells at the TV. And I'm always like, dad, it's from 1986. Like, you know what happens? And Natalie got found her love of sports from her dad. Yeah. And, and, it, and it started, it started with, um, with hockey and yeah, my, yeah, my yeah. dream was always to play hockey, but it's tough in inner city, uh, Philadelphia. There's, you know, there's not many frozen ponds, maybe in 2021 there will be, but, yeah. um, and so when you said that, you know, your four older brothers and they, how your dad played, it just, it seemed like that's a, that's a really great theme, um, for a lot of women who are badasses in who love sports is that they had an amazing father or a older male figure that encouraged them to do that. And it's so funny because I loved ice skate. And my mom was just talking about this when I was home a couple of weeks ago that I grew up in near the Poconos, which is about an hour and a half. Out. I live in center city now. And my dad would take me ice skating all the time. I had like, when I started when I was younger, I had the double blade skates. Oh, and yeah. then I like, you know, went up to like the single blade and 
it was like three years ago, there's like a cute ice skating rink in center city, Philly. And one of my best friends took her niece and I hadn't been ice skating in so long. And I just like, I want to go. And my, my friend was like, Oh, Nancy Kerrigan over here. <laughs> What's this about? And I was like, cause my dad always encouraged me to do, you know, it's like to do stuff and to play. And obviously I went into radio and not, and not hockey, but I love the fact that that's how you got started. It, it, it it's such a theme that we've seen since doing this podcast. And I just think it's, it's awesome that you were empowered by, you know, your dad and your brothers to do it. And you were just like, yeah, we're badasses. We're doing it. Yeah. And I, I think our mom also deserves equal credit. She put us in like any sport we ever, like they rarely yeah. said no to us doing activities. And so our mom was actually a competitive swimmer. So she actually made oh. like all of us learn how to swim at a young age. And we swam competitively up into middle school, I believe it was. Wow. And if we asked to do an activity, we, she would normally put us in it. And if we didn't like it, that was okay. But we had to finish the season we were in. There was like no quitting halfway through a season, yes. like not going to practices. And so our mom and she always calls swimming like a grunt sport. Like you can't fake the laps. You can't cheat the laps. Like you, you have to there's swim nowhere the to hide. There's nowhere to hide. Pool. Yeah, no, there's really not. Is there? yeah. Wait, my <laughs> parents were exactly the same way that they let me do whatever I wanted, but I couldn't quit. And I, my, it's, it's so ironic because my dad was a basketball coach. My brother's currently a basketball coach and I hated playing. I love watching it, but I hated playing. And my parents were like, you made a commitment. Like you're going to follow through with this. You don't have to go back out next year, but like, you're going to do it. And I always thought that was awesome resilience that my, my parents were exactly the same way. Um, the question for me is obviously you both are elite beyond elite. So when did you realize that you were amazing at your sport? That's always a, uh, that's always a question I love to ask professional athletes that yeah. at some point growing up, you knew that you're like, Oh, we're like fucking good. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, when did, we're when we're did pretty good at this. Yeah. I think from a young age, we always were really confident in our ability because we were competing with the best boys in the state. Right. 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 Players. But I don't really think it was necessarily like a thought like, oh, we're really good. It was just we were confident that we were going to be able to go compete and be some of the best players on the ice. And then it was always such like an inner drive to be the best we could be, not necessarily comparing ourselves to other people. But I remember in it was the 06 Olympics. We were sophomores in high school mm -hmm. and our mom said it takes eight years of like committed deliberate training to become world-class and I just remember her vividly saying that and that was in 06 so Monique and I we we started training when we were like in like seventh or eighth seventh like eighth we begged grade. her we begged her to there you could do like the skating treadmills like for training which yeah they probably didn't need to be doing that but yeah that's like so cool kind of up for it for it to like do training stuff when we were in middle school yeah and so we so she said that and then I was like so we're doing the math on like what eight years puts us at because we felt like we'd been training consistently since seventh or eighth grade and so that was when we started to think okay on a on a world-class level what is it going to take to get there like what like timeline wise like realistically what is it going to take and so we made our first national team event when we were 17 years old um but that's I think the first seed that got planted when we're really thinking like 
yeah, like we're going to be on the national team and realistically we need to put the work in consistently for years to get there. Um, so I, what was, sorry, was, Nat, go ahead. I was going to say, can you tell me a little bit, what was that transition like from, you know, growing up and playing on, um, mostly, you know, boys teams, and then you go and you make the U S women's national team. Um, how was, how was that transition for you? And did you, I mean, really just, was it better? Was it worse? Um, do you think, do you think, uh, I mean, what do you think helped you, you know, advance it to the, like that next level? Well, it's kind of a two part answer there. So we, we had, to, we moved away and went to Shattuck St. Mary. So we went to a boarding school, uh, that was our freshman year in high school. So that's when okay. we transitioned to girls hockey. So we went, Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Boys hockey to a boarding school where we were uh, freshmen and we were playing on the 19 and under team. Okay. Uh, so that was our first experience. Playing. And where's the, where's the boarding school? Is it in North Dakota? It's in many, uh, just outside of Minneapolis. So okay. if anybody knows hockey and like boarding schools, like Shattuck is like the cream of the crop, like one of the best places you could possibly go as far as like having opportunity and just the training and the schedule you play and just everything encompassing that. Um, so this was, but, a, this is a special school. So you knew at this point before high school that you're like, oh yeah, we're on track to like do this. And so, yeah, so we were, so we, we went to Shattuck and I, socially that was, it was so good for us to be, to transition to playing on a girls team because of our last year, boys hockey, we were, we changed in separate locker rooms. We weren't a part of the team necessarily. Right feel as much of a part of the team some parents were not happy about us playing um really so we did oh yeah yeah like we had there were some parents that were amazing to us and then there were some that were not so happy that we were on the team and it's it kind of when it came to teammates is you realize it was whatever the parents opinion of you was probably what the kids opinion yes. was as well right yes. um but then when we were 17 and we make the national team you realize like hey we're we're good. It's, but we, I mean, I remember we stepped in and we're like thinking we should be on the power play right away. We should right. right. <laughs> but yeah. uh, um, Angela Giro, who's a four-time Olympian, she saw like an inner drive and competitiveness within us, like immediately. And so it was really cool to have, to have like a veteran like that, to see that within us. And then I think throughout our time as teammates and just with us maturing, we learned how to harness that competitiveness in a, in a positive way because yeah. when you're 16 17 and you're playing a ton and then you go to a national team event and i there was two of the games i think i didn't even get a, a shift like i just i was a grocery stick in the middle of the bench right um yeah like that that's hard to swallow your first time experiencing that and so i think going through that you just learn you learn how to harness your competitiveness you learn how to be a good teammate through all of that and so I think it was it was a good experience to go through that as well when when you were on the boys teams and obviously you started younger and then as you gotten older did you find that they were a little intimidated by you and it was that was that the or do you feel that like it was because of the parents, it made them feel some sort of way. Like, I'm curious if like, cause I feel just from knowing kids that played 
like little league when you're in like four, five, six, it's so different by the time you're like 12, 13. Once you hit puberty. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think we definitely noticed that transition and it happened, I would say right around when kids started hitting puberty, but also when there was checking. Um, so I was, I was actually like, gonna, I was actually gonna ask about that, but go on. <laughs> yeah. So we played, um, USA hockey has since changed the rules, but so we played in peewees, we played checking. There is no checking in peewees anymore. So we played with boys with three years of checking yeah. and we were some of the most physical players. We were the most physical players on our yeah. team. Yeah. So th- even more reason for opponents to not like the girls on the other team, but I would say yeah. I don't know if it was necessarily as much as intimidation. I would say it's more of like the parents, I think, felt threatened if we were playing more than their son, if we were taking spots of boys who were also trying out or they, I feel like parents see it as a reflection upon them sometimes. And it's just, it, it's kind of silly, but it's, well, and especially like if Monique you're putting them into the boards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, like there was yeah. a parent that used to yell at Monique every time she touched the puck to yeah. pass the puck. Like from the stands, the parent was like from our team and would yelp, yelp literally every time she t- yeah. had the puck. And it's like, what's what's wrong with you? Like when you think about it as an adult now and we have kids, I'm like, could you imagine yelling at like a 12 year old kid yes. every time but, he touched the puck? Like but how that's embarrassing. What, <laughs> but that's what it is. It it talk about being self-aware. It's it's the lack of self-awareness because that's what it is. It's the parents, it's really like the toxic masculinity of like my son isn't good enough because a girl is better. And they're like internalizing that. And like, you sure, like the kid doesn't know that at 11, 12, 13. And the parent at that time, you know, 10, 12, even 15 years ago, probably didn't even realize that. That's why it's so important that we have these strong women now who are bringing attention to it to be like, no, 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 we're not going to vilify women anymore. Like we're going to celebrate it. And I think back then no one really was acknowledging why that was happening, but it was, it's all basically internal, just it's internal dialogue that then is projected onto in this case, kids. It's the same. It's the same type of thing where you get your trolls on Instagram yeah. or making comments about women's sports it's the same type of crap and it's normally it's normally guys who played at like maybe a JV level who weren't very good at what they did and they make themselves try to feel better by throwing out rude comments like yeah. it's just stupid did it, I mean how did you how do you think that you both kind of dealt with that, you know, mentally during that time, do you think it ever affected you or do you think it drove you more um, as a competitor just to keep striving and to just keep like kicking ass? <laughs> Our dad always told us like, just from, from playing boy sports, like it was as simple as like head down, mouth shut, just let your playing speak for itself. Uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. From a very young age told us not like, not to get in the middle of like, trash talking with other boys because it just wasn't worth it but then I think like when parents would yell or like other if it was other teams like players were like heckling us or whatever it would just like give us like more drive like okay I'll show you type of thing what's your son that was more like it was just your birthday 
yeah, it just motivated us to, to be better and yeah. to continue to prove that we belonged. Wait, when, what's your sign? <laughs> cancer. cancer. Interesting. Nice. Okay, Cause you have like that. <laughs> usually cancers are more like chill, but you guys like, I was going to say, I was going to say a Scorpio or Aquarius, but well, when we're, when we're playing, it's like game on. Yeah. Well, okay. But outside of the rink, I would say we're pretty chill. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. they're okay. So that makes sense then there. Yeah. There's the cancer side. Wait. So yeah. I know the, I mean, again, your career has been incredible, but we have to have to have to talk about the 2018 Olympics because this is some twin, like, was this, do you think this was like some twin, like synergy stuff? Like, you know, you getting the tying goal and then you getting the game winning gold, like for, for the gold medal, like, can you just tell that story for those who don't know it? I don't. Yeah. Yeah. So we went, so our third Olympics, I'm, we won. I'm thinking about it. <laughs> She's like on the edge of her seat. I know, I am. I'm like, I'm like, I want to hear it from them because I remember when it happened and I was just like, oh my God, like this is unbelievable. Okay, go on. Yeah, so we... <laughs> Um, just a little background. So we had been, this was our third Olympics. The two previous Olympics, we had gotten silver losing to Canada. And in 2014 had lost in a heartbreaking fashion. We were up two to nothing with like three minutes left in the game. Canada comes back, ties it up and ends up winning in overtime. So just like an utterly heartbreaking loss for, for us and our team. And so it's always the Canadians, it's always yeah. the Canadians. <laughs> Um, so 2018, we're in the gold medal game and a fun little, well, a story that we tell, we talk about it in our book. Um, before we left for the game, left, um, the village to go to the rink, we were just like kind of going through our normal routine, getting ready to, uh, head down to the bus. And we were, we were roommates. So we shared a room. So we're getting ready to go and Jocelyn, we were, I think we were just like had music on or just kind of chilling in our beds, whatever. And Jocelyn, before we opened the door to walk out, Jocelyn turned to me and she goes, you always score when it matters most. And I was just like, I didn't even like respond to it. I just gave her like a head nod, like a slight Mm -hmm. smile. And we just like walked out the door. And so anyways, we're down two to one going into the third period. And what was cool about like our locker room, there was just this confidence that we were going to figure out a way to win. Like as a collective, it wasn't like between the two of us, it was just the energy in the locker room was just very different than it had been in like 2014. And so, um, fortunately I was able to get a breakaway, uh, in the third period, uh, one of our, our line mate made an amazing pass to me, um, cross ice that went through, I think the Canadian defenders stick and caught it at the blue line, went in on a breakaway with lots of time Canada on a, on a bad change and went in shot just below our glove, um, on the lower half of the net and scored, um, to tie it up two to one, uh, to bring us into overtime. And as if the game wasn't traumatic enough, we go through overtime, no one scores. Um, and then we go into a shootout and if five people wasn't enough to, to break it, we go into the sixth shooter of a sudden death shootout in the Olympic gold medal game. And then Jocelyn ends up being the, the sixth shooter. And yeah, I mean, I think when we think about that game as a whole, um, we hadn't seen the game actually until it was right when COVID had started and mm-hmm. NBC was replaying a bunch of Olympic moments. So yeah. we actually like watched the game for the first time. It was like last from start year finish, from start yeah. to finish. Wow. Oh, wow. And some, as a, as an athlete, you, you know, you watch video, you try and pick apart things that oh, you yeah. better at and 
having never watched the game, like we knew we played well, but there are times when you think you play well and then you watch video and you're like, oh, that wasn't such a great game or things you thought maybe you didn't do, do so well and the game ended up being better than you thought. And we watched the game. We're like, we played really well that game. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that is one of the best games from like start to finish that we had ever played. Um, and so just like watching that game and then replaying those moments I mean it's what dreams are made of yeah, um, yeah so it, get the opportunity to go on the shootout um I was just I remember just thinking like this game this is over like I'm finishing this I'm like yeah. I want that gold medal what <laughs> was that moment neck. like do you remember that moment when you're like you I'm like, cause to me, like just thinking about that now, I'm like, Oh my God. Like, do you remember <laughs> what is, does like a calmness come over you? Or is it just like, like, what is that like to know that like you could win the gold medal? <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think there's, there are moments. So like some, some athletes or in this specific instance, like players on the ice, like some players want to go in a shootout and some players don't want to go. And that's like Mia Hamm in the 99 World Cup. If you hear her talk about the PKs that their team took, like she didn't want to go at first. Yeah. She basically had to be talked into it. Now she's one of the best players ever. Yeah. Um, so like you need someone like that to go. But like once I got the tap on the shoulder that I was going, I went and stood by the door and like I wanted to go. Like I wanted the puck on my stick. And, um, it's actually kind of funny. So we shot second in the first five and then uh -huh. if it's tied, then it flips the order. So the Canadian player had gone out and then it wasn't her turn. It was my turn. I was like, Oh, it's my turn. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I get me. out there. Quick. There <laughs> yeah. Um, and I went and gave Maddie Rooney, our 20 year old goaltender at the time, a pound. Mm -hmm. And I was like, game over, this is done. And I went and I was, I think once you like get in that moment, like you're waiting for the whistle to go and the puck's waiting at center ice for you. It's just like you and the goalie. It's just, you're all, you're, you're not yeah. worried about the fans and the rink. Like, I don't remember hearing anything even yeah. after I scored. I don't remember like hearing the crowd roar or anything. Mm -hmm. I just, it was just like, you were just in, in that zone. You're yeah. In, yeah, yeah. You're just in your own bubble. Um, so I went through like the, the bench was going nuts. And then I went and gave Maddie another pound because Canada still had to go. So she still had to stop the next shooter. Um, but I was like, this is like, I, in my heart, I felt like we had just won. So I threw my stick to the back of the bench thinking like, I'm not going to need this because Maddie's stopping this and we're going to celebrate. Um, mm -hmm. And she stopped it and the rest, it was just chaos. <laughs> And history is made. Yes, and <laughs> and truly, history was made. This is like a very technical question, but what is your um, what is your um, like, what is your approach when you're in a, a shootout? Like, I'm I'm just curious. Is there like, do you like go for like the five hole, or do like, is there like a certain? Is it just the way like the goalies positioning themselves? Yeah. So I would say like players definitely have tendencies. Yeah. So like, like Monique's more of a shooter. Yeah. Right. I'm more like, I rarely shoot on a shootout, but I would say like the way I like to approach a penalty shot specifically yeah. where you have so much time, no one's chasing you down or anything. Right. Um, like I took in my shot, like I went really slow and took like a winding road just to get the goalie moving a little bit. But when you come in that slow, 
it really makes it hard for the goalie to create the right timing when you're coming in, in to shoot. Um, so that's very intentional on my part. Um, and I had been doing really well in shootouts and the practices leading up to that game. So mm -hmm. I just continued to do what was working for me at the time. Um, but yeah, like shooters definitely have tendencies. They definitely, um, are looking for, for certain holes, but, um, I'm, I'm a deke first yeah. kind of player. So yeah. Yeah, I can say that now since I'm retired. Yeah, <laughs> well, and and because Monique, I mean, offensively, I mean, I mean, you were you were a killer. So, what was your what was your approach? Um, you know, whenever you were heading towards the net. Me, I remember. So, our uh, one of our college coaches, uh, he actually coached the Swedish national team into Olympics um, for women's hockey, and so he always, I had had like a partial breakaway against Canada in our round robin game. And I tried to go to my backhand and D uh, no, well not D. I just tried to go to my backhand. Anyways, he, I, I don't know if we had talked to him before or if it was after anyways, he, and in college, he always said, he goes, you should, anytime you're on a breakaway, you should shoot. He goes, you should always shoot, always, always shoot. And his Swedish <laughs> accent. So I remember like thinking like, okay, if I ever, if I get an opportunity, like if I get a breakaway or if I get like an opportunity, like I got to shoot the puck. And so like, when I got the puck to go on that breakaway, it was like, my first immediate thought was like, okay, I got to shoot this. this. I'm shooting this. Like there was, I wasn't like deking or anything else. I didn't know where I was shooting, like right when I got the puck, but yeah. Um, yeah. That was my first instinct. And so I've just always had that mentality. I think that's what's that like shooter shoot thing. Yeah. 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 So that's yeah. like Jocelyn's got a little fancier hands than me. Her hands are a little nicer with like her stick handling. And her okay. Not, and okay. I would say I'm more of like, I'm definitely more of the shooting type or should shoot when I get, when I try and get fancy, it doesn't work out too well. Right. Right. Um, so I have two questions. One, one's about the Olympics, but this, the first one is so much of what I think especially when you're at an elite level is mental. And you mentioned it twice. You mentioned it first that you knew in 2018 in the locker room that it felt different. Like the energy mm -hmm. felt different than 2014. And then the second one is you mentioned how there are people who don't want to do the shootout. And so it, it's that, can you just talk a little bit about, obviously when you're on the Olympic team, when you're a professional athlete, you're already elite. But can you talk a little bit about how the energy, how the mental part of the game can make or break? Because I always find that so fascinating that sometimes you have the best players, but the energy just isn't there. It, it, I always call like the Zaza Zoo. You know what I mean? <laughs> like there's just something there that like takes it to the next level. And I also think it's really, really fascinating. There are athletes that are grace under pressure and then there are athletes that crack under pressure. And I always think that that's really interesting too. And does it matter? Like you have a player, like I always, you know, we're in Philly. And even though we, we talk a lot about other athletes, but like Nick Foles, who won the Super Bowl here for the first yep. time, he's grace under pressure, but in regular games, he sucks. But like when the game's <laughs> on the line, he's beyond elite. And I always <laughs> find that so fascinating. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the mental part of that and like the energy and, and that kind of part of, of what it's like when you're at that level of professional athlete and Olympian and like team energy, like you talked yeah, about. Yeah, I'll, I'll take the first part. So I think the team energy. So in 2014, like, we cracked under pressure. Yeah, we cracked under pressure. I think 
throughout that season, it was a very intense, um, training, training regiment and not like you expect it to be, but I think there was unnecessary stress put on this situation of like players are going to be cut. And it was just a very high stress okay. all the time when yeah. it didn't need to be. And so then when we got to the Olympics, it was like, okay, we have to be perfect. We have to win. We have to win. We have to do everything we can to win. We can't do anything to deter from just being focused. And so like we had been in Russia for like almost two weeks and hadn't been allowed to see our families um, because right, we right. couldn't be distracted. And so I think, and it wasn't were, like we were quarantine quarantining then. That was yeah, just, we were not quarantining. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so I think in, in that regard, it was just, you could feel the pressure. Uh, we were trying to manufacture the enthusiasm. Um, and it was just, we, we blew a two goal lead and we just, as a team, I don't think could come back from like, from that. Um, yeah. even though we had played well, it was just like, we, we blew it. Yeah. Um, like we played, we were the better team for probably 58 of the minutes of that game. And then the last two minutes, we just we just yeah like we cracked under the pressure I think. and do you yeah. think it's then, because it's it was so high stress that like there were it was other like you said you didn't see your family you it was it was the expectations were so high it was almost like too much for like your brain to handle I think as I think as a collective whole it was just unnecessary stress put on Yep. Makes um, sense. Put on the team. Like it wasn't, you already put enough pressure and stress yeah. on yourself. Right. That, right. Yeah. Like everyone knows what, was not, yeah. Everyone knows what's on the line. And so to have it be manufactured in so many different ways and so many different parts of your life and not just at the rink, it was just, I think it was just kind of too much yeah. um, to makes be honest. Sense. And then flip that to 2018 and we're going, we're down by one going into the third period. And it was just, we, we had the confidence. We had gone through negotiations the year prior. We practiced twice before going into a world championship and won the world championship because we just had this collective trust in the team and in each other that we were going to do whatever we needed to do. And we were going to play within ourselves. We weren't going to try and do too much. Um, and the younger group that we had on the 2018 team, they had won at every level they have played at. So every world championship wow. they played at, every U18 world championship they had played at, they had all won. So there was a collective confidence in the younger players that I think calmed down the older players. And it was just, we just, right mix. Yeah, we just had the right mix that we were going to play today. Yeah. Yeah, and I yeah. think you, like, when – when you play at an elite level for such a long time, like you have elite athletes and then there's the elite of the elite and like the top 5% that are willing to do whatever it is to be one to 2% better. And so like, when you're thinking like you're meant like meant mentally, like the top, like 1% of the one, like you think of like Tom Brady or something like the, what, the top athletes and elite athletes are willing to do to be their best and to be prepared for every situation. Not every elite athlete was willing to do that. And I think there was a good, there was a solid group of us in our, in our team, on our team that really went above and beyond to make sure that we could handle all situations, especially after 2014, our leadership group, we really looked within ourselves and within the locker room and we're like, Hey, what do we need to do? to be better as individuals, to be better leaders, to be better teammates. And we really, 
evaluated critically what areas needed to be improved upon. And, it, and for four years, that's, we worked on those things to be better so we didn't have the same outcome in 2014 that we did in 2018 or to have a better outcome in 2018. And so I think having athletes like that, you don't, you don't see that all the time, even in the best, even on the best teams and even teams that win championships, but our team, we went after the 2014 Olympics, we won three world championships in a row and then went on to win an Olympics. So like, that's a special group of four players that you have that go in and win year in and year out. Oh, I love that. Man, um, man asses. Like, I'm just, I'm like pumped up. I'm ready. I know. For the day. I'm like, take me to the ice skating ring. <laughs> um, really quick. Cause obviously we want to talk about the book and we got to yeah. talk about how your, like, how your moms and bat, like there's just so much. so much. I know. I know. Oh, so I want to just talk. Could you just talk a little bit about the, like what the Olympic experience is like, like going to the village and like finding out you're going to the Olympics and yeah. Like, like wearing the matching outfits, you know, and like, <laughs> like what is, you know, cause we watch it on TV and I have this very weird thing that I like love watching the Olympics. Cause mm-hmm. I'm not an elite athlete. So, I, love watching yeah. too. I love, I love watching the Olympics too. It's I love it. I love it so much. And I'm always like, what, you know, what is that like when you know, like you're the best of the best and you know, you get it, like, do you get to have fun? Is it, is it pressure? Like talk just a little bit about like, what is it like to be an Olympian? And then also where do you keep your medals? Yeah. Well, even, even when we're at the Olympics, we enjoy watching the Olympics. Um, <laughs> yes, like being able to be yeah. like when you're in the village and you know that um, like J.R. Selsky speed skater is going to compete for a gold medal in like five hours and you're eating breakfast with them. It's pretty cool. Okay. Um, yes, yeah. you just experience that as mm-hmm. not just as the hockey team, but as like the team USA delegation, um, yeah. it's really special to, to see athletes, um, go compete to, to try and win a medal. And so that's, that's always been a really cool experience throughout our three Olympics. Mm-hmm. Um, and like then we were at the curling gold medal match. Yeah. And then at like the opening ceremonies and the closing ceremonies, it's just, oh. it's part of the Olympic experience. Like we love watching, um, the summer Olympics and yeah. what the opening and closing ceremonies will look like and getting to wear the outfits is, is fun. And yeah. it's funny. Like we had the dumb and dumber winter fringe gloves for opening ceremonies. <laughs> yeah. and the most apparel we've ever gotten. Yeah. It's just, it's just all part of the experience. It's really cool. Yeah. And where do you keep your medals? Um, mine's we, so like our gold medals, we keep like, well, granted, we haven't traveled in a while, but if, when we're traveling a lot, we keep them like in a sock. Cause when you're going through TSA, it's just easier to like pull them in and out of a sock as right. compared, like having him in their wooden case, which right. is bulky yes. and kind of annoying to carry around. Um, but yeah, we don't really keep them on display. We're pretty liberal with them. Like if we go to a school or we're like doing an event, like we pass it around, we let, Aww like people touch them we're not like super protective of them oh, yeah that's right like, like no i'd wear touch. it out like going to dinner i'm gonna wear my gold medal as well. <laughs> yeah, i mean we don't like i don't bring it with me to like a dinner date or anything like <laughs> yeah. that but when we're going to events like we happily bring them and just pass them around i mean we've heard it ding of, uh, on a few desks and chairs and stuff but oh, oh that's, that's so what they're for to share it with other people so so th- so then after after the olympics um was that when you were like okay we need some time or what was, how was the transition out of 
you know, years and years and years of hockey, hockey, hockey to just kind of, you know, transitioning back into life. I mean, in 2018, it's only three years ago. It's not like it was even that long ago. Well, we um, both wanted to start families. Um, right. We've both been married for, I've been married for four four years at that point okay for a couple years and so we we're basically like waiting to start our families until after the olympics or trying yeah and so we were both fortunate that we were able to get pregnant right away because once you enter that world that's another you know whole other another journey in itself yes yeah Yeah. so we're we we were very lucky um we had baby boys six weeks apart from each other (laughs) there's so many twins that this happens to (laughs) yeah but we were committed like we trained through our pregnancy we went to all the usa hockey camps last season um and we were committed to coming back but after um you know, having kids coming back for a year, we had lost two grandparents and our godfather within 18 oh, months. It was just kind of a reflective, yeah, in COVID and COVID yeah. happening. Yeah, um, it was just a reflective time in our life where so much of our time had been committed to hockey and training and being the best athletes we could be and having having our kids and then experiencing loss really just made us reflect on how do we want to spend our time moving forward because basically our entire lives has been centered around when's our next camp when's the next tournament and what do I need to do to be the best athlete I can be and I just think that focus we felt like we needed to shift that focus um, Mm -hmm. moving forward in our lives so wait how many do you both have two kids each right so we both have boys. They just both turn two. And then I'm actually due in like three and a half weeks with another yeah. boy. So oh you can't God. see the belly right now, but yeah. I mean, huge. we're large and in charge over here. And are oh, your husband, yeah, I know. Are your husbands <laughs> in to hockey? Like, how did you meet your husbands? Cause I always think that's interesting too. Cause like you're bad asses. And so what your husband's like, did, did they know what I, I, when I meet, women who are married to supportive men. I'm always like, how'd you find them? You know, where are yeah, they? Yeah. So, like, where have they been? <laughs> I met my husband and we started dating after the 2010 Olympics. So he was always very much aware of my right. schedule and mm-hmm. what I wanted to accomplish. And he, he was actually a teammate of two of my brothers. And so it's actually kind of funny how we started dating because that's <laughs> like the no, no, you don't date a teammate. So right. Yeah. He had to ask my brother's permission to date me and all that. So it's kind of funny. Yeah. And then my husband, we met right before the 2014 Olympics. He's a strength and conditioning coach. Um, he worked for BU men's ice hockey. And then when we started, um, dating I actually had to like beg him to start training me and Jocelyn and then he so he was actually our coach for like three four years going they were like oh years. my hamstring could you help me yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so I mean I'm you know the book dives into all that but I think one um the most important thing that I you know the book is going to highlight is how you guys before 2018 now what just briefly uh, cause I don't want to give it away. Cause that's what the book is for. So 2017 world championships was when you guys were, you were like, we're not going to play unless we're treated equally. Yeah. So in 2015, we had sought out legal support, um, to basically start negotiating with USA hockey, uh, as a team, 
um, to get more equitable support. So mm -hmm. we weren't asking for equal pay from the men compared to the men's team because the men's players play in the NHL. Right. So we were asking for, okay, how the men's team travels, we should travel per diem. They get, they were getting $50 a day. We were getting $15 a day, which is There's, nothing, nothing. Right. Right. And so <laughs> the, the boys U17 and U18 team program has a $4.2 million budget. There is no equivalent girls program. Um, that, that budget, I mean, our budget for the women's national team isn't even that big. And so from a pure equity standpoint, we wanted more support for girls and women in not just the national team, but at a U18 level and more grassroots support for, for girls hockey across the country. And so ultimately what ended up happening from 2015 to 2000, right prior to the 2017 world championships, there had been negotiations, basically no progress had been made. And mm -hmm. the team as a whole, collectively threatened to boycott the world championships and said, if we don't make progress, we're not playing. And so, so um, she yeah. says team, but then it was, we also had our U18 team, our U22 team. And then wow, quickly realized when we said we weren't going to go that USA hockey was trying to replace us. And so they, they quickly bypassed the, that group of players, which was like almost a hundred players. And then it started going to a, um, division one American players, and then went down to division three, all the way down to like club hockey players. And so we were literally on the phone with, with what felt like almost every American born hockey player above the age of 18 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. in the country. And what was really cool about, and something that we're proud of is they didn't, they never got enough players to even field a, a starting lineup to our knowledge. Um, everybody said no. And I think that was because our messaging and what we were fighting for was, was to grow the game and to leave the game better off on the women's side better than when, so they're not fighting the same battles, battles that we're having to fight. And so I think if it, at any point had what we were fighting for been or came across as greedy or selfish, then I don't think we would have had the support that we did. But I think everyone realized that what we were doing was for the next generation. Well, and these were, and these are just like kind of base, you were asking for very basic, you know, yeah. um, very basic things that, that you think would kind of be standardized across the board um, for an organization, but, you know, learning so much about USA hockey and, and, you know, kind of comparatively to the U.S. women's soccer team, you know, what they, you know, it's, it's the parallels are there and it's like all the investment, you know, goes into the men's when it's actually the women's, <laughs> the women's have been, you know, have outperformed the men on the world stage. So yeah. it's like, how do you, how do you, put a value on that and and why is there not more attention and focus on these programs with you know these incredible women from all over the united states um who represent the country on the world stage and and win and it's kind of like it it's it's amazing that you were able to get that change and again it, it was it was for and it's going to be the future of usa hockey for all these little girls and all these women who just want to play and represent and because they love the sport right it's not you weren't doing it for yourself you're doing it for the sport and all the other girls who come after you 
who want to just get out there and kick ass and win a gold medal for the United States. I mean, no big deal, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, the agreement that we signed, uh, it was a four-year agreement. And so that's actually coming up here in the next month. And we believe that that contract is just the start and it's the foundation to continue to build off of. Yeah. Um, so we're hopeful that, you know, the next contract will be even better for the players. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, to, we go into depth in of those right. negotiations in the book and yep. it's really I reflecting on that whole process that's our most proud moment of being a part of team USA yes winning a gold medal in 2018 was amazing but that's the most impactful experience we have had as a member of team USA and this is what's crazy to me too just with women in general it's like you did this while you were training to go to yeah. the Olympics. Like, and working a job. <laughs> and yes, yes. Like that is what people do not understand. Like you're training and you're like, we're trying to fight for equal rights. Oh, and we're just also going to probably win the country a gold medal and mm -hmm. work a job and try to be an amazing girlfriend or fiance or wife. Like women do so much. Like it's just the, the fact that, the respect it, it you have to fight for the respect makes me literally want to throw my computer Do you, know what I mean? you bring up a really good point because it's for elite female athletes it's almost the expectation or the pressure is put on their shoulders to make it to leave the sport better off than when they came into it and it's almost an expectation that a lot of us put on ourselves to to make it better and to get to get more fun, whether it's like, look at the WNBA and what they've done in USA soccer and yeah. the, the players that are like the premier players, what else gets put on top of their shoulders aside from just having to be great at what they do. I mean, look at what US soccer did at the, at the world cup, they're in like pending litigation and they're going out and winning soccer games yes. and playing at the top at the best, like playing their best on top of having that other pressure on, on their shoulders. Yes. So yes. that's an, it. It's an, un I mean, when do you see like how many male athletes have to have to do that while playing for their championship? And so I think that's a big thing that a lot of people don't realize. Yeah. And you mentioned just in passing about working a job and just about and working a job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't think people realize that, that especially in women's sports, it's, you don't get sponsored you, you, you're working to live and then you actually happen to train. And whereas like a lot of even younger, younger kids that are 12, 13 years old, like they have sponsors from a young age and it's not necessarily that easy for women. No, I think, you know, the misconception, especially for Olympic athletes is that you they all get major sponsors and really yep. it's just like the top person it's the one percent of those athletes that get lucrative deals um so it's unfortunate that's how many olympic athletes have to live and train and i you know it's just it's too bad but especially as like a mainstream sport in north america and um women's hockey like hockey being pretty big um as far as sports go it's there, there's the, the viewership, the interest, there's a fan base. And we proved that in the 2018 Olympics, we had more viewers at terrible hours at like two, three in the morning yeah. than any of the men's games and the NBC, we broke a record for the NBC late night, um, NBC sports viewership. late night viewership for our gold medal game. So people want to watch. 
Yes. yes. People want to watch and, and they're going to continue to watch. And I mean, when they read your book and just see like all the progress that you've made, it's going to be, you're setting the groundwork for so many people just to have a, you know, not, you know, a better experience, but just to make it so they can achieve more, you know, because when you're more comfortable in your environment, like if you want to get something to eat, that's more than $15 while you're training or, you know, on the road, like you're not going to have to worry about that. You know what I'm saying? Like, and that makes you perform better when you don't have to, when you're not, you know, crunching numbers and doing logistics based on what's, uh, uh, you know, given to you to perform at your best level. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm excited to see everything that comes out of this for you guys. I know you said, um, 1050. So Nicole, do you have anything before we wrap up? The book is called dare to make history. And when did you realize you wanted to start writing the book? Um, it was actually a few people told us our story was interesting and compelling and we don't find ourselves interested. So it it actually came from encouragement from a few mentors of ours and we put a book proposal together and it got shopped around in a, um, radius pub radius Radius book group radius book group uh picked it up and so really like starting from a blank page and like not being authors we're like hey how do we start this yeah um but i think the biggest thing was we wanted it to be in both of our voices we didn't want it to be a collective we throughout the entire thing because we do both have our own experiences and different perspectives on um things that we've been through and so I think once we figured out like the flow of how we were going to interchange our voices without it being choppy, um, I think we, the writing process really came, became a lot easier for us, but yeah, it was a two years work in progress. So it's it's fun to finally have the release date coming up shortly. That's so exciting. I'm so excited to, uh, like it just, it's, I love, that's why we wanted to do this podcast was just to celebrate badass women and who are just making a difference. And, you know, we started obviously talking about, how you were skating in the backyard and an old coworker of mine built, he's obsessed with hockey and he has two daughters and he built instead of a pool in his backyard, yeah. shout out to Joey and Leah Brooks. <laughs> listen, he built an ice skating rink in Connecticut to teach his daughters awesome. hockey. And so like, they'll be able to buy this book for their girls who are nine and 11. And like, I just think it's, it's awesome. So thank you so much for doing this and, and for all you do and tell everybody how to find you on the socials. Yeah. So our Facebook and Twitter handles are Lamru at Lamru Twins. And then we have separate Instagram accounts. So mine's Jocelyn USA 17 and Monique's is Monique Lam 7. Um, but I think if you just type in Lamru, we should come up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for all your time and all the work that you're doing. And um, I'm just over the moon that we've got to talk to you today. And I know, I mean, thank you again for joining us on the Lipstick League. And uh, I, I know Nicole and I will be following you guys very closely. So thanks, thanks, for so much with thanks so much. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.